you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, yeah. Well, hello again, friends. I'm glad you came by. I've got a special treat for y'all tonight. See, someone commented to me once that they could listen to me read the phone book. So check this out. I figure I could start right at the beginning and we'll do about an hour and a half, two hours tops. What do you think, Chester? You want to listen along? God damn it, you scaly prick. That was my reading material, Chester. Mm. Oh, well. Come on inside, friends. Maybe I got something else sitting around. Go ahead and have a seat, friends. I'll just be a second. Mmm. Oh, that's <laughs> This is good. <laughs> oh, pretty smooth. Sorry about the phone book. They'll probably drop me off another one next year. But now that I think of it, I might have something even better. <sighs> that one kind of grabbed me by the boo-boo. <laughs> okay, so smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Because old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Friend... This is Season 1, Episode 12 of Drew Blood. Amen. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archive dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com, amen, and click patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access from our friends at Tillin' Tales for Dark Nights, amen. Thank you for your support. Can I get another amen? 
and my brothers and sisters, I've just been informed that they're accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com, amen. If selected, your nightmares will be made manifest. Amen. Amen. Now, drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, baby, it's party time. Tonight, we've got two tales from CTFDN veteran Jay Ensinamo, a man whose pandemic beard was designated N950 by the CDC. Our first story of the evening is a tale of obsession in which an archaeologist just refuses to stay in his lane. So, without further delay, I give you from author J.M. Sanamo, The Infinite. Nestled just off the Appalachian Trail, near the border of Virginia and West Virginia, where forests grew thick and pressed in on all sides, sat a small region known as Dry Branch. Barely more than a collection of campgrounds, Dry Branch rarely received visitors, save for those taking a short break while hiking the neighboring mountain ranges. Even the locals in nearby towns would say it was pleasant, yet unremarkable. However, thanks to years of careful research, Dr. Charles Sutterfield knew better. Though he was much younger than most of his colleagues, Charles had excelled in his field of study at an early age. By the time he was 28, he was already the youngest professor of archaeology the University of William and Mary had ever employed. His students were fond of his lectures and stories from his time spent out in the field on digs and excavations. Some would go as far as to say that he was just a hat and a whip shy of being an action hero. Of course, none of this concerned him in the slightest. So long as his students listened, took their notes, and passed his tests, he couldn't care less what they thought about him. He had too much on his mind to let popularity contests distract him from his work. The spring semester had come to an end, and he had only one thing on his mind. Dry branch. One early June morning, before the sun had crested over the horizon, Charles packed his truck with tools, food, camping gear, hiking equipment, and books, and set out on the five-hour drive to the campsite he planned to call home for the next two weeks or so. The campground was nearly vacant as he pulled his truck up to site number F5. Save for a solitary red tin a few plots down, he was virtually alone. He smiled as he stepped out of his pickup and into the clearing. The tall pines, poplars, and hickories loomed overhead like ancient skyscrapers. Birds, squirrels, and a plethora of other forest creatures chitted away, adding a serene chorus to the picturesque mountain view. If he could, he'd stay here forever. As he finished hammering the last of his tent stakes into the ground, his peaceful solitude was interrupted by an excited voice in the distance. Hey, neighbor! The voice boomed from the nearby trail, cutting off the ensemble of wildlife that had greeted him on his arrival. Need a hand? Charles turned to see a young bearded man walking toward his campsite. He was dressed as one would expect a hiker to be at this time of year, 
khaki shorts, hiking boots with long socks, a short-sleeved flannel button-up, the works. Charles waved hello but shook his head. The young man approached him and extended his hand. How's it going? I'm Robbie. I'm at that side over there. Robbie pointed to the tent Charles had seen when he first arrived. Not wanting to seem rude, he stood up, shook Robbie's hand, and introduced himself. The two men made friendly conversation as Charles finished unpacking his belongings. They talked about the weather being ideal for camping, how the relative solitude was a welcome reprieve from their day-to-day lives, and their plans for the next few days. I see you brought a lot of books and papers with you. Does this trip have to do with your paleontology work? Robbie asked. Archaeology, Charles corrected. And no, I enjoy reading in my spare time, and it's never a bad idea to brush up on the basics. With that lie, he bid Robbie farewell and turned his attention to an ancient leather-bound book he had brought from his collection. In its pages, it described an antediluvian ritual that would bestow its caster with eternal life. And, if his research was correct, that same ritual's last known owner reportedly lived in a cottage not far from Dry Branch. Charles waited until Robbie had gone for a hike before he set off on his mission. He had stayed up late the night before studying old maps, legends, and research notes that would lead him to the spell. Once he was sure his camp neighbor had gone, he packed what tools and papers he would need and began the arduous trek off of the well-worn path and into the neighboring woods. The surrounded forest seemed eldritch when compared to the trees at the campground. Thick trunks, gnarled branches, and moss-grown stumps of all varieties pressed in on all sides, forming a thick wooden maze. As he pushed his way through the woods, the bird songs lessened and the shadows grew darker. Fallen trees and jagged mountain rocks formed barriers and obstacles impeding his journey. After hiking for several hours, Charles stopped to have a bite to eat and check over his notes. According to his calculations, he should have reached the cottage by now, but no such structures were in sight. He checked the time on his phone. The clock showed it was only 2 p.m., but the sky had grown dark and it looked closer to dusk than mid-afternoon. He returned to his notes. Immortality spells or spells involving time manipulation can alter more than just the caster. The more powerful the incantation, the more potent the effect. When regarding thine self, be wary of your surroundings. Charles read these words and laughed. He dismissed the darkened sky as a trick of the light from the looming trees and clouds. The spell had interested him since he began his archaeological research, but he never truly believed it was true. His studies and readings of occult practices had piqued his interest from an early age, but he had never found proof of their powers in all his years of research. This investigation would hopefully answer his questions. He returned the papers to his backpack and continued on his journey. The sky grew darker as he continued his walk, casting the entire forest in an alien bluish-gray hue. He stumbled over twisted roots and overgrown brambles until he reached a break in the tree line and found himself on a narrow, well-worn path. The dirt trail cut through the trees 
bending and twisting with an unsavory serpent-like pattern. The sun had all but set, and twilight was closing in on his mission. He retrieved his flashlight from his pack and cast its beam down the trail. Charles smiled and cupped a hand over his mouth to prevent disturbing the silence with a burst of triumphant laughter. There, in the narrow beam of light, sat his destination. An old cottage, rumored to be the last known location of the ritual known as Ein Sof, the Infinite. Charles carefully approached the dwelling and took note of the bizarre scenery caught in the glow of his flashlight. The cottage was beyond decrepit. The moldering ruins of what was once a woodland house leaned at absurd angles. The windows were smashed out, the roof caved in from years of neglect and debris, and the stones were moss-grown and chipping. However, what made the small clearing truly bizarre was the flora. Trees of all ages grew near the cabin. Some looked older than time itself, while others were barely saplings. Stumps of petrified wood stood like stone remnants of a forest long forgotten, yet in their midst were trees still blossoming and bearing fruit. Much as he tried, Charles could not explain these phenomena and made a quick note of it in his journal. The door to the cottage gave no impediment and practically fell off its rusted hinges as he made his way inside. The floorboards were littered with leaves, dirt, and a thick dust that blanketed the entire room. Torn papers and moldering tones were stacked high on every flat surface and shelf. While these manuscripts did interest him, Charles only had one book on his mind. In Libro de Vacui, The Book of the Void. In its pages was the storied incantation that would bestow its invoker, Life Everlasting. Hours passed with no sign of the fabled text, yet the time on his phone only read 5.45 p.m. Charles searched every pile, every shelf, every mess of strewn papers, but to no avail. He lifted his flashlight, hoping to find some place in this disintegrating house that might contain the volume he had traveled so far to obtain. As the light tracked across the room, he noticed something that had eluded him while he searched through the piles of books and papers. A small hatch in the floor of the cottage with a round metal ring for a handle. He approached a small door and carefully lifted it open. Excitement filled him, forcing a short gasp from his mouth. Carved on the underside of the door were the words Ein Sof. The cellar proved to be in worse array than the rest of the building. Broken wooden furniture, torn papers, shattered glass, and the carcasses of dead rats adorned the room in a hideous display. The odor this basement exuded was equally foul. A mixture of long-dead animals coupled with the stench of damp leaves and papers. However, one item sat pristine amongst the decay and destruction. A book in the very center of the room. Charles quickly descended the ladder and rushed over to the book. In Libro de Vacui, he had found it. Without wasting another moment, he opened the book and vigorously turned through the pages until he discovered the Ein Sulf incantation and ritual. His legs grew weak. His hands trembled. 
Sweat seeped out of every pore. He knew he had to see if it worked. The discovery of the spell was monumental in its own right, but he had to know. Charles marveled at the age-scrawled words before him and ghastly etchings of unearthly beings, dismembered corpses, and pelagic monstrosities that bordered the pages containing the ritual. In the center of the page was a drawing of some formless entity, riddled with eyes, tendrils, teeth, and suckers. He quickly referred back to his notes. The Zohar believed Einsolf to mean the nameless being. Numerous scholars considered this a reference to the Hebrew God before the creation story in Genesis. However, some maintain the nameless being was a deity older than any known Judeo-Christian God that abandoned its own plane of existence to rest in the void that preceded our universe. He placed the open book on the floor in front of him and prepared to perform the ritual. With the symbols drawn in a circle on the floor around him and the candles lit, Charles was ready to begin. He produced a sharp hunting knife from his pocket and sliced a long cut into his left palm, letting the blood trickle down his forearm for a moment. He held his bleeding hand over the center candle and let the blood drip onto the flame, causing it to flicker but not extinguish. I divorced this blood so its flow may no longer sustain me. He then lifted his blood-soaked hand to his mouth and forced his index finger down his throat until he retched and vomited the remnants of his lunch into the center of the circle. Even in gasping, he uttered the next line of the incantation. I divorced this food so its bounty may no longer sustain me. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The surrounding candle flames flickered and swayed as if blown by an unfelt wind. He held his wound over the center flame, letting the fire lick the wound until his hand burnt and the bleeding stopped. Tears flowed from his eyes as he choked out the next verse. I divorced this flesh so it may never wrinkle with time. At this utterance, all of the candle flames died. Casting the dank cellar into complete darkness. The shadows swirled and danced before him. The decaying smell of the cottage was washed away by the sickening combination of candle smoke, vomit, and burnt flesh. 
He felt weak and faint, but knew he had to see it through to the end. Hesitating no longer, he reached into his bag and retrieved the pair of pliers. With one quick motion, he placed a tool in his mouth and jerked one of his bottom teeth out, root and all. Blood and saliva filled his mouth as his trembling hand placed a tooth at the base of the candle. I divorced this bone, so its structure may no longer be my support. Charles's words trailed off. The room felt like it was spinning. He tried to maintain his composure, but as he attempted to stand, his knees gave way. His eyes rolled back in his head, and he fell unconscious in the middle of the circle. In his comatose state, Charles dreamt of the horrors portrayed on the pages of the ritual he had performed. Terrible unearthly vistas and galleries adorned with pagan statues, human flesh, ancient tombs, and etchings of the dreadful being he now believed to be Ein Sof. Try as he might, he could not wake himself from the nightmares that now surrounded him. The damnable beings crept closer to his paralyzed form, and he feared that this dream would be his mortal end. As the grotesque limbs and gnashing teeth fell upon him, he was jolted awake by a very real noise in the cellar. The sound that had rescued him from his nightmare and plunged him into awakened terror was laughter. Not a hearty, jubilant laughter like those of his colleagues and students. No, this was a shallow, hoarse chuckle that made a sound akin to gravel crunching under tires. Charles quickly backed away from the source of the noise, pressing himself in the far corner of the cellar. <laughs> Who is it? Who's there? Charles begged, praying there would be no response. His questions were met with the sound of weak shuffling and labored breathing. After a moment, the lapse owner replied, The book. The stranger said in a scratchy whisper, You found my book. It was mine years ago. You read it, didn't you? Then I am too late. You have to give it to me. We have to destroy it. Charles mustered the courage to retrieve his flashlight from the floor. He quickly turned it on and aimed the light at the stranger. The horror that sat crouched across from him shook him to his very core, causing his flashlight to fall from his hand and break on the hard stone floor. In the brief moments before his light had died, Charles saw a man, or what was once a man, a nearly skeletal being now shared this cramped subterranean room. Eyes sunken in with an unearthly glow, skin stretched tight over an aged frame, hair long and stringy with the appearance of spider silk. This thing looked to be hundreds of years old. In his panic, 
Charles swallowed hard and attempted to converse with this living corpse. You... You performed the ritual too? And I undid it, the creature growled. All of my years in sin returned to me in a wave of decrepitness. I do not know how much longer I have until this form fails me. But the book must be destroyed. Charles could hear the creaking and snapping of the man's bones as he shuffled toward him in the dark. In a panic, he grabbed his book of matches and struck them, casting the cellar in an orange hellish glow. I won't let you destroy it, Charles cried out. It's too valuable to my work. His protest had fallen on deaf ears, for the cadaverous man was already upon him. Jerking and wrenching at his hand, the creature wrestled the lit book of matches from him and cast them onto the dry, brittle pages of En Libro de Vacua. Before he could even attempt to extinguish the flames, Charles watched in terror as the man lifted the book into his arms, cackling as the flames ignited his tattered clothes and leathery skin as quickly as they had the book. The pillar of laughing fire stood bright in the center of the cellar until it choked out its last breath and fell into a smoldering heap in the center of the ritual circle. Charles fell to his knees in a mixture of shock and despair. All of his work, all of his research that had led him to this tome, now gone forever. For decades, Charles searched for another copy of En Libro de Vacua. The spell had indeed worked, but presented new problems to his life. He had to eat, or at least pretend to, so as not to draw suspicion when in polite company. He had to dye his hair, beard, and eyebrows gray to give the appearance of aging. Most troublesome were the time lapses that followed him. Clocks visibly stopped in his presence. Time jumped ahead like a needle skipping on a record, and random rifts in space-time only he could see tore into his waking reality. These tears in the fabric of reality showed him past events and murky visions of things that he had never witnessed. Immortality spells or spells involving time manipulation can alter more than just the caster. The more powerful the incantation, the more potent the effect. When regarding Ein Sof, be wary of your surroundings. These words proved as true as the ritual's potency. After a while, he quit his job at the university so no one would catch on to what he really was. Immortal, retired, friendless, he left America and continued his search around the globe, hoping to find a copy of the book that had both extended and ruined his life. Nearly 200 years after he escaped the cellar near Dry Branch, while conversing with a shopkeeper in Tel Aviv, Charles heard rumor of a fabled spell that was said to grant its reader immortality, located in an unmarked tomb just south of Jerusalem near Ein Bokek. 
This had to be it. Charles paid the shopkeeper for some supplies he would need and asked for his service as a guide into this unknown resting place. The man gave him the supplies but refused to accompany him. He claimed the place was cursed by the unholy text that resided somewhere deep within. As Charles made his way to the exit, he was approached by a young shop clerk that had listened to his conversation while stocking shelves. Excuse me, sir. If you are willing to pay me the same, I would be more than happy to assist you. Charles gave the young man a quizzical look. You aren't afraid of the curse your boss had mentioned? No, sir, the clerk began. I am afraid of not being able to provide for my family. I may not know much, but I am strong and good at following instructions. Charles patted him on the shoulder. What's your name, kid? he asked. Haran. My name is Haran. With their brief introduction finished, Charles told him where he was staying and instructed him to be there at the crack of dawn. The next morning, the two men arrived at a crumbling cemetery just outside of Einbukek. Haran had proved invaluable to Charles's mission. He was a great travel companion, spoke the local dialect, hauled his fair share of equipment, and made Charles's presence in the area seem less suspicious. After following the shopkeeper's description and instructions, they found themselves standing before an enormous ancient crypt. Its stone doors stood sentinel-like against the stone-hued edifice. Charles pressed his hand against the door and suddenly fell to his knees. A time rift had taken over his vision. In place of the graveyard, he saw the cottage cellar from centuries past and the cadaverous being that had destroyed his work. Haran rushed to his side. Dr. Charles, are you okay? This question snapped him back to the present. I'm fine, Haran, he replied, regaining his composure. This is it. It's close. With his companion's help, the two men pried the massive door open. A foul air wafted from the entryway. Before them sat a stone-carved stairway that plunged downward, flanked by alcoves filled with urns and skeletal remains. Flashlights readied, they proceeded down the narrow stairs into the abyss. The innards of the tomb were vast. A labyrinth of corridors, rooms, and passageways spread under the ancient cemetery like a necropolis. Haran was visibly frightened and feared they would become lost in this maze of decay. Charles, however, seemed sure he was going in the right direction. Some preternatural sense was guiding him along through twists and turns until finally he stopped. There, in a bone-strewn antechamber, was an archway leading into a circular room. He recognized the archway almost instantly, for its carvings were the same as the etchings that bordered the pages of the Ein Sulf ritual. Charles raced into the room, Haran trailing behind, not wanting to be left alone in this horrific place. In the center of the room sat a flat stone altar with a pedestal behind it. There on the pedestal sat a second copy of In Libro de Vacua. Excitement and joy filled him as he rushed over to confirm his find. Without thinking, Charles lifted the prized tome off its perch. 
Before he could relish in his long-awaited find, the tomb quaked and trembled, sending some debris down around them. A trap had been set in place to ensure the book was never disturbed. The two men watched in horror as their only means of escape was sealed shut by a large stone slab. Try as they might, the stone would not budge and they lacked the proper equipment to destroy it. Tears filled Haran's eyes as he slumped down onto the altar. Defeat and hopelessness engulfed him as he thought of never seeing his wife and child again. Charles began to flip through the book that he had searched for for so long. He once again found the ritual of immortality, the spell that had brought him more trouble and grief than living a mortal life ever could. As he turned through the pages, he discovered something he had hoped would exist. They read it to Exponentia, the spell of return. He carefully read the ritual and was relieved. Ein Sof could be undone and the spell would make him mortal again. He could be free of this curse instead of being doomed to spend eternity imprisoned in this place. I am so sorry, my friend, he said in a calm, determined voice. But you're as good as dead anyway, and the spell demands a sacrifice. Before Haran could even make sense of these words, Charles plunged the knife deep into the side of his neck and gently lowered him onto the altar to begin the ritual. I expel this life so that mortality may find me. For I have lived many lives. I give one more so that I may return. Return to how things were. May his fragility come to me. May I return to once I was. As the last breaths of life escaped Haran's lips, a rift opened in the sealed room and pulled Charles into a starlit void. He watched in astonishment as time and space wrapped and bent around him with scenes of his life's journey. The vistas of the past hurtled him backward as his body aged in contrast. Time and decay had found him. His skin wrinkled and grew thin. His hair grew long and stringy and fell out in clumps. His teeth rotted and fell loose from his laughing maw. His voice cracked and broke, becoming nothing more than hoarse cacophony. The rift closed, time halted, and the spell ended. Old and brittle, he prayed death would find him immediately. But something was wrong. The spell of return had worked. It had restored his mortality, but it had also delivered him to the time and place the curse had first taken hold. The cellar and dry branch. Decaying and emaciated, he surveyed his surroundings. There on the floor across from him lied the unconscious form of his younger self. The remnants of the iron soap ritual surrounded him. At this sight, his sanity splintered and he began to laugh in his dry, gravelly voice. Who is it? His younger self screamed. Who's there? (laughs) 
And that was The Infinite by J.M. Sonamo. You know, as tempting as it is to achieve immortality by reciting magical incantations, sometimes it's better off you don't read that stuff out loud. Uh, in fact, I, uh, uh hold on. L- let me just check something. Um, maybe it's better I just stay in here for a while. Anyway, for our second story, we join a man who finds a mysterious trunk in his new home with dark links to the past. Again, from author J.M. Sinamo, I give you The Trunk. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving day. A chance to start fresh in a new place. New opportunities. New community. New home. Home. Not just a house. To Eric Sherman, this was a place he could finally call home. No ex-wives to hound him for alimony. No disapproving parents to question his absence of faith and atheist lifestyle. No bitchy neighbors threatening to call the authorities about his over-the-top Halloween displays. No, this house was different. For one, it was in a more rural and secluded county. There was no HOA to worry about. His nearest neighbor was almost half a mile away. Before Eric had moved in, he made it a point to go and meet him and ask some questions about the community. So how long have you lived around here, Mr. Holt? Eric asked. Oh, hell, the old man began. Call me Henry. 
everyone else around these parts does. Henry took a long drag from his cigarette. But to answer your question, been here my whole life. I inherited the house and little farm from my pa after he passed in 75. Henry extended what was left of his cigarette in a small glass ashtray before slipping another one out of its wrinkled pack. You grow anything on the farm? Eric asked. Henry gestured over his shoulder, swirling smoke through the air with his newly lit cigarette. Just some squash in the lack. In the fall, I grow pumpkins and let the city folk come and pick them for Halloween. You like Halloween, son? Eric's eyes lit up. Ever since he was a boy, Halloween had been his favorite holiday. He enjoyed being scared and using his extensive collection of decorations and props to scare others. Yes, sir, I do. At my last house, my ex-wife and I put up quite a display. Sometimes we would even make a little haunted walkthrough in our yard. Some of the neighbors said our displays were too intense and made too much noise. Henry chuckled and took another long drag. <laughs> well, Henry began, you don't have to worry about that around here. I'm your closest neighbor, and I love all that spooky shit. Nas won't be a problem, neither. My hearing's been going these past few years, so if you want to rile up the folk that come out this way for pumpkins and trick-or-treating, I'd say have at it. The two men chatted for a few more hours. Eric told Henry about some of his more gruesome Halloween displays, and Henry told Eric about which shops were closest and had the best prices. Well, Henry, Eric said as he shook the old man's hand, I look forward to living up the road from you. Same here, son, Henry replied. Treat that old house good. Like all old things, handle her with care, and she'll treat you right. A week later, Eric was finishing unloading the boxes from the moving truck and into the old country house. He wiped the sweat from his forehead, gazed up at his new home, and let out a satisfied home. The farmhouse was huge, much bigger than Eric's last house, and more than enough for a bachelor and his dog, a border collie named Cerise. Eric wasn't bothered by the extra space. More room to store props and decorate with macabre knickknacks. Horror and grotesquities were not reserved solely for Halloween. Eric enjoyed adorning his shelves, mantles, and countertops with skulls, bones, old crumbling books, and other bizarre curios he acquired over the years. As he was carrying the last of the Halloween boxes up to the attic, Eric stumbled sending the box crashing to the floor. He frantically pulled open the cardboard flaps and sighed with relief. Nothing had broken. He then turned to see what had caused him to lose his footing. There, at the base of the attic steps, was a noticeably loose floorboard. Eric grabbed a hammer, nails, and a flashlight from his toolbox and made his way back to the attic doorway. He clicked the flashlight on to find the best place to hammer the board down when he noticed something tucked away just under the loose board. Using the claw end of the hammer, Eric pried the other nails out of the floorboard. The space beneath the floor had an old, musty smell. The kind of odor one expects to smell in a second-hand shop or antique store. As the beam from his flashlight scanned the dust-caked alcove, Eric finally saw what had caught his eye. Before him sat a small antique black trunk. 
Eric lifted the box from its hiding place and wiped the dust from it with his shirt sleeve. The box was made of a very sturdy wood that had been painted black by its creator. The lid was slightly domed and secured with a large antique lock. Emblazoned across the front of the lid were letters that Eric instantly recognized as Hebrew. Eric rubbed his stubbled chin as he tried to make out the letters. He had taken Hebrew lessons as a child, but hadn't studied or read anything in the language since his bar mitzvah. Now, in his late thirties, the letters seemed alien to him. He thought about calling his mother and asking her what it said, but their relationship had been rocky ever since she told him she could not accept that he had abandoned his faith. At any rate, Eric knew he had to see what was inside. He went back to his toolbox and returned once again, this time with a pair of bolt cutters. Eric placed the cutters on the lock and with one firm squeeze, the lock snapped in half. He removed the remnants of the broken lock from the latch and without warning, the lid flew open with a horrible screech. Eric jumped back from the sudden noise. After taking several deep breaths, he clutched his chest and laughed a bit to himself. He walked back over to the now open trunk and peered inside. Eric's eyes lit up as they had at Henry's when he mentioned Halloween. Inside were an assortment of bizarre trinkets, a small jar filled with teeth, five rusted nails fastened together with twine, a desiccated frog, a small jar of what looked to be rock salt. But among the various oddities, the most impressive was an antique gesture marionette. The puppet glared up at Eric with lifeless blue eyes and a sardonic grin that was thinly framed by a pair of blood-red lips. Eric reached toward the limp figure to inspect it, when with a loud wooden snap, its mouth popped open. Oh shit! Eric gasped as he recoiled his hand from the marionette. His heart began racing and the sound of pumping blood filled his ears. From the downstairs living room, Cerise had begun to bark. It's all right, girl, Eric shouted. <laughs> Daddy was just being a wuss. As courage crept its way back into Eric's body, he noticed a small piece of paper in the puppet's mouth. He slipped the paper out of the doll's open maw and found the same Hebrew lettering on it. Hmm, must be your name, Eric wondered aloud. With that, he placed everything back into the trunk and decided he would ask Henry if he knew anything about it tomorrow morning. Eric sat on Henry's porch as the blazing autumn sun beat down on them. Though it was still early in the morning, the temperature had already reached an uncomfortable 91 degrees. This heat and the accompanying humidity were not uncommon for the area but it was more than Eric was used to. Sweat drops had already formed on Eric's forehead, and his clothes began to cling to his body with sweat. The mysterious trunk sat on a small patio table in between the two men. Any idea what it could be? Eric asked Henry as the two studied the box and its contents. Looks like a lot of weird shit, Henry replied. Hell, sir. Thought you was into all that spooky stuff. Eric chuckled. Henry had a good point. 
This was the exact type of thing Eric would go out of his way to find at antique stores and estate sales. Eric was about to reply when Henry gestured to the inscription on the trunk. Ain't those them Jewish letters? Henry asked. Eric nodded as he took a sip of water from his bottle. Yeah, Eric replied. Hebrew? Was the previous owner Jewish? Henry let out a deep sigh and shook his head solemnly. Now, my pa and I always had our suspicions about Kurtz, Henry began. The old feller that lived in that house before you. Mean old bastard. Thick German accent. Bought the place you was living in around 1950. Pa always said to keep away from him. Told me, only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. That old bastard must have stole this off some poor Jewish fella thinking it'd be valuable someday. Eric looked at Henry with a steady gaze. He swallowed the lump that had built up in his throat. My family is Jewish, Henry. They, uh, they escaped the Nazis in Poland and fled to America when the war was over. Henry placed a hand on Eric's shoulder and gave a reassuring smile. Son, I know it might seem strange living in that place knowing what you know now, but maybe this is restitution of sorts. That old prick is dead and buried. Now you live in his house and you've reclaimed something that belonged to your kin. Yes, sir. This is just your people reclaiming what is rightfully theirs. Eric forced a smile and looked down at the box. The puppet met his gaze with its own cruel smile. Eric turned back to Henry. But why wouldn't the realtor have said something about this? Henry let out a laugh. <laughs> Boy, even if they knew the old fool's history, do you really think that would be something they'd advertise? Henry replied. Eric knew he was right. No sane person would stop on a real estate listing that read, Rural farmhouse, country living, former fascist occupant. Eric thanked Henry for his time, gathered up the trunk and its inhabitants, and started to walk down the dirt road that led to his house. Henry called after Eric. What you gonna do with that creepy puppet? Eric turned and replied. Well, Halloween is in a couple of weeks. I think he'll look pretty good on my mantle. Before long, Eric had started putting up his Halloween display. He had spent years purchasing and collecting the most grotesque and gory pieces he could find. His once scenic front yard was now an abattoir littered with limbs and heads, festooned with intestines and manned by blood-soaked animatronic clowns. Henry came by a few times a week to see how the display was coming along. Each time he would ask Eric if it was finished and each time Eric would tell him there was always room for more. Inside, the farmhouse was more tame by comparison, but still had its fair share of horror. Actual skulls and bones Eric had acquired from various collectors adorned his walls. Antique surgery tools and dental phantoms sat proudly on his end tables and counters. Preserved rodents, bats, and spiders occupied his mantle, along with the contents of the trunk, the marionette taken center stage. Eric had decided to name the marionette Jerry, 
Both he and Henry agreed the puppet's angular features, rectangular head, and broad smile made it look like a medieval Jerry Seinfeld. Eric had just finished putting up a few more decorations and lights when he decided to turn in for the evening. The heat was still pretty intense during the day, and all of the outdoor decorating had drained the energy out of him. He took Cerise on her nighttime walk, making sure to pick up after her. Though dog feces can be quite scary, they were not welcome in his display. Eric and Cerise came back inside, and Eric told her it was time for bed. The dog curled up on her favorite wingback chair, put her head down, and blew air out of her nose the way a disappointed child would respond if he told them it was time for bed. Eric crossed the living room toward the stairs leading up to his room. As he reached for the light switch, he turned toward his dog. Good night, Cerise. You were such a good girl today. Cerise did not get up or even open her eyes, but her tail began to wag energetically to show him she understood. Eric then turned toward the mantel. Good night, Jerry. Keep an eye on the other decorations for me, will you? As if in response, Jerry's mouth snapped open with that distinct wooden click sound. Cerise began to whimper and growl in her sleep as the hair on her scruff bristled. Eric felt all the little hair stand up on the back of his neck as he stared at the puppet in shocked disbelief. Calm down, he thought to himself. It's just an old doll. He made his way cautiously over to the mantle, his eyes locked in a staring contest with Jerry's. Eric reached out with a trembling hand to close the puppet's mouth, expecting the thing to spring to life at any minute. He placed a finger on Jerry's chin, and slowly pushed its mouth closed. Eric sighed with relief and made his way back to the light switch, never taking his eyes off of Jerry. I'll find some wood glue in the morning and take care of that jaw problem you've got there, Jerry, Eric joked. Maybe even give you a fresh coat of paint. With that, Eric turned out the lights and went into his room to have one of the most troubling sleeps of his adult life. That night, Eric could not sleep. His dreams were a labyrinth of nightmares that he struggled to escape. Images of Jerry and his terrible grin haunted Eric's every wakeless second, forcing him to jolt awake and scan the room for the demonic doll. Every creak, every tap, every subtle noise caused Eric to spring awake. It was getting to the point where he wasn't sure if it was better to just stay awake and try to take a nap in the morning. At around 6 a.m., a new noise had shocked Eric from his bed. Downstairs, he could hear the distinct sounds of Cerise barking and snarling. Eric felt a knot form in his stomach. Maybe it's just a rat, Eric hoped as he climbed out of bed. The dog's barking grew louder and more fierce. Eric knew he had to go downstairs and investigate, but fear slowed his movements to a glacial pace. The stairs from the second floor creaked with unease as he crept downstairs to see what Cerise was barking at. Eric peered through the living room doorway. However, what he saw was more annoying than startling. His mantle display had been knocked down and strewn about the floor. 
Broken display boxes and animal specimens littered the area rug that was below the mantel and in front of the fireplace. The one startling aspect of the scene was that Jerry did not fall all the way to the ground. His marionette controls and string had snagged on the edge of the mantle, causing the puppet to hang and sway like a corpse on a noose. Jerry's mouth hung open as Cerise barked and snarled at him. Cerise! Eric yelled. What did you do? Despite Eric's accusations, the dog continued to bark and lunge at the dangling puppet. Eric grabbed Cerise's collar and dragged her toward the kitchen. He told Cerise to sit and stay, shutting the door behind him as he returned to the mess she had left. Eric got a broom and began to sweep the broken glass from the rug. From the looks of things, he would not be able to save any of these pieces. Once he was sure he had cleaned up all the glass, Eric untangled the marionette string and set Jerry back on the mantle. I guess Cerise thinks you're creepy too, Eric said aloud to the doll. As he turned to let Cerise out of the kitchen, Eric felt a sharp pain in the bottom of his foot. Fuck! Eric screamed as he grabbed his foot to see what he had stepped on. A small piece of glass protruded from his heel, glistening in the light as a tiny red stream of blood began to trickle from the wound. Eric hobbled over to the couch and examined his injury. He pushed on the skin around the glass to force it to the surface. He plucked the shard from his foot as blood began to stream faster from the puncture. Eric hopped over to the bathroom, cleaned his wound, and covered it with a bandage. Upon returning to the living room, Eric found Jerry slumped over and lying on his side. Eric limped over to the mantle, not wanting to put pressure on his foot. As he reached for the puppet, Jerry's mouth snapped open again. Eric quickly recoiled his hand. Before he had time to register this new fear, he was startled by a loud bang at his front door. Ah! Eric, you in there? Henry's familiar voice called from the front door. Still slightly panicked, Eric hobbled over to the front foyer and answered the door. Eric smiled a weak smile at Henry. Hey, Henry, Eric said. How's it going? Henry looked Eric up and down. He could tell things were out of the ordinary. I was just going for my morning stroll and decided to see how the display was coming along, Henry replied. But from the looks of things, you've had quite a morning. Eric nodded and explained to Henry what had transpired since the dog had made the mess. Henry shook his head. Guess that dog of yours hasn't taken a shine to old Jerry yet, huh? Well, at any rate, I just want to say your yard decorations are getting pretty sick, even for my taste. Eric gave Henry a quizzical look. Henry, I haven't added anything to the outside display. Henry looked confused, and the two men stepped outside onto the front porch. Dangling from the trees were dozens of dead mice and birds, swaying lazily in the light breeze. Eric swallowed hard. He was suddenly aware the strings that were wrapped around each animal were identical to the ones that were on Jerry. Henry? Eric stammered. I didn't hang these. Henry gave Eric a stern look. Listen, boy, Henry started. I'm all for a good scare here and there, but this may drive business away from my farm. 
I'm asking as a friend, please take them down. Eric, not looking down from the ghoulish menagerie, nodded silently. Henry patted him on the shoulder. I'm happy you're getting into the spirit of things, but don't go getting carried away. With that, Henry started back down the dirt road toward his house. Eric retrieved the ladder from the shed and began the grim task of removing these lifeless creatures from his trees. As he finished taking the last morbid ornament down, he heard Cerise barking from inside the house. Eric climbed down the ladder and burst through the front door. To his horror, he found Jerry sitting upright in Cerise's chair. Eric rushed over to the puppet, snatched it off the chair, and chucked it into the fireplace. He then shoved some newspaper and scrap wood under Jerry and struck a match. As he set the ghastly pyre ablaze, Jerry's mouth fell open once again with a hideous click. That night, Eric gathered what remained of the trunk's contents and threw them in the trash. He snapped a picture of the box with his phone and begrudgingly sent it in an email to his mother. He hated contacting her after their falling out, but she knew how to read Hebrew. As he hit send, he glanced over at the fireplace. The fire continued to blaze, but all remnants of Jerry had become smoldering ash. Eric had just walked into the kitchen to get a glass of water when he felt his phone buzzing in his pocket. He pulled the phone out of his pocket. The caller ID simply read Mom. He took a deep breath and answered. Hey, Ma. Hello, Eric, she responded. I just got your email. What exactly am I looking at? Eric did not want to tell her all that had happened since he found the trunk. It's this really old box that was left by the previous owner. I can't make out what the Hebrew says on the lid. Eric heard his mother sigh. <sighs> you don't even remember enough Hebrew to read a short word like that. His mother scolded. Well, at any rate, I hope you left that thing alone. Eric began to feel the hairs on his neck stand up. Why? Eric asked. What does it say? Dibbick. His mother responded. Old superstition. They're like the demons or spirits. The word actually means adhere or cling. Eric took a deep breath, but before he could respond, he heard a sharp yelp from the living room. Mom, I'm going to have to call you back. Eric hung up the phone and bolted into the living room. The sight that greeted him sent his head spinning. Cerise was thrashing about on the floor in front of the fireplace. Protruding from the ashes was a long, sickly pale arm. Its skeletal fingers were firmly wrapped around the dog's neck. Cerise! Eric shouted. With that, the arm gave a quick twist, breaking the dog's neck with a terrible snap. The arm raised Cerise's lifeless form into the air, then, with one swift motion, threw the dog toward the front door. Eric stood frozen in horror, not knowing what to do or where to run. Before his senses could fully return, all of the lights suddenly snapped off and the fire went out. Eric groped behind him for the kitchen door eyes fixated on the unlit fireplace. Eric's phone buzzed violently in his hand. 
The screen illuminated. The caller ID said Jerry. Before he could do anything, the phone accepted the call and switched to speaker mode. A shrill, unearthly screech emanated from the device as images of an eyeless, gaunt face and gesture paint flashed on the screen. Suddenly, the phone went dark and the screeching stopped. In the darkness, Eric heard something slump onto the floor in the direction of the fireplace. As he turned to run into the kitchen, he heard the sickening thumping of the creature crawling toward him. Henry stood in Eric's yard. An old cigarette clung to his lips. He shook his head. Mr. Holt, I'll ask you one more time. What were you doing in the deceased yard so early in the morning? Henry took a long drag from his cigarette. I told you, officer, me and him had become very close. We was fixing to be partners around Halloween time. He'd spook the youngins and city folks, and I'd sell them pumpkins. Poor kid. I knew he was in a bad place. Told me about his wife leaving him. Told me about not being on good terms with his folks. I knew something was off, but never guessed he'd do something like this. The two men turned around to re-examine the horror of which they spoke. In a tree... High above the Halloween grotesquities hung Cerise, a coarse rope pulled tight around her neck. Hanging beside her swung Eric, face made up to resemble the marionette that sat on the branch that suspended them. And that was The Trunk by J.M. Sinamo. A good reminder to be wary of old relics with Hebrew characters. Speaking of Hebrew characters, this reminds me of something Jeff Sturdivant once told me. <laughs> we were sitting at the bar drinking. He tilts back his shot and he says, You know, Drew, I only buy gefilte fish when it's on sale, but therein lies the rub. See, you never know what you're going to get once that expiration date's creeping up. It's a metaphor for life, man. We're all set to expire. While you're here, you just gotta roll the dice. Did you ever find a Dybbuk in one of those jars? I asked him. But then he started rocking back and forth and doing this funny little prayer. Knocked the bottle right off the bar. And guess who forgot his wallet when the bill showed up? Last time I take his ass to Applebee's. A little about the author. J.M. Sinamo is an up-and-coming writer from Virginia. He's been a fan of horror since he was a child and draws his inspirations from the likes of Clive Barker, H.P. Lovecraft, Thomas Ligotti, Stephen King, and Matthew Brockmire. When he isn't writing terrifying tales, he spends his time with his wife, daughters, dogs, and cats. He's appeared on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights with tonight's stories, which are also available to read on creepypastastories.com. Just search J.M. Sinamo. Want some more J.M. right now? Head on over to YouTube and check out the video, Five Scary Ghost Stories Guaranteed to Give You Nightmares. 
you'll find an excellent compilation including his story, Black Mold, narrated by our very own Jason Hill. You can email him at jmscares at gmail.com. You can also follow JM on Facebook. Just look for Joseph Matthew Sinamo. Come for JM, stay for the baby pictures. Here, hold on a sec. You gotta see this one. Hmm, it's been a while, huh? Damn it, JM. Post more cute baby pictures, will you? Do something for me, won't you? Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a kind word. Every one of those makes a big difference for me, and I'd really appreciate it, even if you are listening on YouTube. To hear a premium ad-free version of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the upper menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating all the way back to 2012, including past episodes of this program and all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases as well, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Stop on by and say hi. I won't bite you. Much? And remember, we are accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, Send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll be hung by your thumbs in the town square and have your armpits tickled with a peacock feather. Also, I'll read your story on the show. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, but remember to stay in your lane. Literally and figuratively. Best case scenario, you'll end up in a fender bender. Worst case, you'll go hurdling ass over tea kettle through the space-time continuum. So until next week, friends, may the wind be at your back. May the road rise up to meet you. And remember, Christmas Eve isn't Christmas Eve without Drew Blood. So in case you were thinking of spending the night with your family next week, let me ask you this. Do they read you scary stories? No, I didn't think so. Besides, I've got a little present for you. (laughs) Hasta luego, amigo.
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.